afternoon. You are listening to Indigo Radio on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. You can listen to Indigo Radio um, live, of course, on Sundays. Um, if you're not in the Brattleboro, Vermont area, you can listen to us um, live by streaming at um, wvew.org, or you can catch us at the Indigo Radio um, on SoundCloud, on iTunes Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, and <laughs> all those wonderful places. All the things. <laughs> so um, today, um, my co-host, Michaela, and I um, are doing a show on... Um, in remembrance of, of for Black August, in remembrance of the murder and assassination of George Jackson, and for those who are not familiar with that history, um, George Jackson was murdered by prison guards um, for allegedly trying to escape. But he was also um, someone who was politicized in prison. Um, he spent ten years in the Soledad prison. Um, seven and a half in solitary confinement. And instead of succumbing to the dehumanization of prison existence, he transformed himself into the leading thinker of the prison movement and a, and a brilliant writer. Um, and so he has, there's a book out called Soledad Brother, um, which contains letters that he wrote from 1964 to 1970. And the year prior um, to his assassination in 1971, um, his brother was also murdered by police. Um, Jonathan Peter Jackson was 17, and he was um, trying to free his brother from prison. So since then, um, organizers and activists and freedom fighters um, are, are commemorated and, and um, people who sacrifice their freedom and lives in the struggle for black liberation. And so Black August takes place during the month of August, um, and it was started in the California prisons in the 1970s by black freedom fighters who wanted to honor the lives and deaths of black political prisoners killed by the state and to bring awareness to prison conditions and to honor the radical tradition of black resistance against anti-black state violence and systemic oppression. So for today, for the um, two years ago, another co-host of ours, Anna Milani, um, got a group of us together and we each picked a, a chapter in Soledad Brother to read a letter. Um, mm. And we pl replayed that last year. But this year, August 21st, which is the day um, 51 years ago that George Jackson was murdered, um, fall happens to fall on the day of our show. So we thought that we would... Um, sort of update our show. And so we, uh, Michaela and I, interviewed Dr. Keith Jones, um, who was a visiting assistant professor of Africana Studies um, at the university. Poet? Uh, what's that? I said poet. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And I, it's so funny. I'm not sure. Like, should I say he's a poet first? Like, can I say it all in one sentence? He's a poet. I know. It's, you know, and it's. You can say poet, scholar, scholar, poet. There you go. Poet, scholar, scholar, poet. You know, and, and sometimes those two are, are go together. Um, it's hard to separate ourselves or compartmentalize ourselves. But we are going to start. Um, well, Michaela, do you want to introduce yourself? I didn't even start there. <laughs> oh, that's not very. I'm Michaela. 
And I do equity and social justice work in Brattleboro and surrounding towns. Um, yeah, member of Indigo Radio. It's such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Oh, I love this is the favorite part, best part of my week. Yay. Um, I know you're you are busy with, you know, two children and family and so many other things. So I appreciate um, that you could be here with me, um, you know, and and really to take the time to to think about these issues that affect us every day. But I'm Nina Kunimoto. Um, I'm a graduate student at UMass Boston um, and an educator as well, a local educator. And I work with Michaela in the Spark Teacher Education yeah. Program. So I feel like it's so important to commemorate these things. And I'm excited to, to be part of the commemoration and just thinking about like both of my children have names. They're named after people who were slain. Um, freedom fighters, Biko, Stephen Biko and Senkara, Thomas Senkara. So that's there. Really? Oh, is Isa? I've always tried to, I wondered, I looked it up actually to try to figure out whose Isa's um, namesake is. Ah, I didn't yeah, know that. Thomas Sankara of Burkina Faso. He oh. was um, also killed. Yeah, he was the um, freedom fighter there and the first leader of Burkina Faso, West Africa. That's great. Um, and I think that's that's so important, again, exactly to, to sort of remember um, through names. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to... not our dogs and cats, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Anna. <laughs> um, okay. So um, I'm going to play a song. Um, and that's a, the other fun part of doing these shows is really picking songs that really fit. Um, with what we're talking about. But this first song, actually, um, Dr. Jones, when Nikhil and I were, were interviewing him, he played the song. Um, and so we're going to play the song um, by Masego featuring J.I.D. and Rhapsody, Something Ain't Right, from the film um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, and then he'll, uh, Dr. Jones kind of talks about the song and breaks the song down a bit. So here we go. Thank you. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something right. Corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Hold up, wait a minute, something right. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Uh, look, and as I lay me, as I lay me, that me down to rest. I lay my sword, my lady lays upon my chest. It's been a crazy war. The devil's banging on my door. My dear, my dear, my dear, I hear the shots ring. Lay on the floor, I don't fear anyone but the maker. Cause we could never murder hate, but can murder a hater. What's some more American way than trying to give them a taste of their own medicine? Prevalent ethnic rebels, the revolution of melanin. Bust a move to the ghetto, we must improve the development. Brought some food for the fellowship, got the news on my brethren. Call the goons in the government, come correct the corruption. Break the racial construction, building up in a spirit of liberation. Give me life or I'ma take it, that's my human right. Universally, you and I, we could be unified. But when you speak in truth beyond your youth, they want you euthanized. Creeping through the night, is something moving right? And shoulders, and shoulders. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WBEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And today, um, for Black August, we are um, we are playing an interview next. Um, with Dr. Keith Jones, who was a visiting professor of Africana Studies at University of Massachusetts in Boston, and he's a poet, scholar, scholar, poet. <laughs> um, and so he uh, started the interview with that song um, that we just heard uh, by Masego, Something Ain't Right. So you'll hear him in the interview, refer to it in the interview. So here we go with our first part of our interview with Keith Jones. It's really a profound film and a really timely one with respect to um, an effort at reclaiming the legacy of Fred Hampton, right? You know, the, which which is important to say also in this historical moment when, you know, in the in the in the wake of those movements that emerged as Black Lives Matter, right? The, the uprisings, the insurrections that were taking place across the country, across the globe. Um, I mean, clearly, you know, after George Floyd, but, you know, after Trayvon Mar Martin's acquittal, right? Which brings us back to what, 2007, uh, sorry, 2000, was that 2013? 13, right? right? Yeah, I because think so. 2014 is Michael Brown, right? So it's yeah. important yeah. actually, it's important to historicize these things, right? Yeah. yeah. And remember, and this is what's important about, you know, the Black Panther Party, right? Of which, you know, uh, Fred Hampton was a part, right? He was one of the field organizers, one of the field generals, is that the Black Panther Party starts as a self-defense party, right? They're upholding, they're upholding Second Amendment rights. How, how timely is that, right? I mean, the, the resonance here, you know, one of the things that I, I always underscore, 
I mean, just in, in any of my work, wherever I am, is a formulation by uh, the, the late great um, Patrick Wolf, who was, you know, an important theorist of white settler colonial structures and societies and logics. And he has an important formulation, which is structure, not an event, right? Mm -hmm. The white settler colonialism is a structure, not an event, which allows us then to understand why all of these instances continue to occur, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when, what, what, what murder do you want to go back to? What assassination, what instance of state violence do you want to mark as, as a precipitating moment for various kinds of uprisings and insurrections. I don't, I mean, Denmark Vesey, right? The the, the Asian revolution. I mean, when, you know, right, uh, you know, all the maroon societies from the 16th century, when, when do you want to mark the resistance and the revolt? And one of the things that I love about that composition and thinking it in light of the Fred Hampton is to be reminded that the Black Panther Party starts in 1966 after a 16 year old is gunned down in the back, shot in the back, right? And Huey Newton and Bobby Seale say enough, right? They say enough. And this is where the arming starts, right? So we think about Fred Hampton then in light of that, that particular kind of moment, right? Part of his response is the building of a rainbow coalition, which is important to think about also in a moment when we have the full neoliberal subsumption of quote unquote diversity, equity, and, and, and inclusion, which is a total vitiation of that radical anti-capital, anti-colonial stance that Fred Hampton represented, which is why he was gunned down. Gunned down, gunned down with his pregnant wife. Gunned down, right? It wasn't, you know, there's no there's no rule of law here. Mar-a-Lago, I mean, like, and then think about this in terms of Mar-a-Lago and the FBI and it's now being denounced, right? Which totally reveals the total ideological nature that the state apparatus always performs, which is in the interests of the elite. They believe in the rule of law only insofar as it furthers and justifies their own interests. I mean, that's the constitution. So something ain't right. And something ain't right has been true for a long time in this so-called republic, right? So the corruption increasingly clearly coming into view always has been coming into view. It's right, that like sort of active verbal phrase of coming, right? That gerund it is coming into view because it's always here, it's always with us and it depends upon our awakening. And I think it's also appropriate to be thinking about Fred Hampton um, in light of, you know, what I, I just wanna honor as a, as a as, and if we lived in a different Republic, this would be a day of mourning for the assassination of George Jackson. Right, mm -hmm. which, by the way, happens in August 1971. But a year earlier, his brother was also assassinated. Right, in the interest of trying to free him, in the commitment to a certain kind of fugitive maroon undertaking, which would actually achieve something like liberation, but it's violently annulled. As you know, any effort at liberation in this republic in this republic always is brutally suppressed particularly black liberation and any black as joy james says you know any black autonomous spaces are not permitted welcome back that was dr keith jones um and a scholar um and poet and um 
and you're listening to Indigo Radio at WVEWLP Brattleboro. Michaela. Yes. Thoughts. I mean, I feel like I don't know where to start, but um, just the profoundness of how we continue work for our own liberation and the liberation of others um, seems really um, important to highlight and that that's what so many people have done, that it wasn't about individual acts. I remember you played something from me before that said that um, from Angela Davis where she says that black power was not just about black people. Um, and so just thinking about that and that there is no true liberation until we have freedom from exploitation mm. and just imagining what a world could look like yeah. where human beings were not exploiting each other seems like something that's um, that some people use the term freedom dreaming that that we can think about um, what that world might look like and work towards it knowing that none of us can be free until all of us are free from exploitation mm-hmm and I really, I like that. And, you know, and I, I want to just add, you know, that the freedom dreaming and then like, what are the, the I guess the nitty gritty, right? What are the steps, mm-hmm. which isn't clean, it's messy, mm-hmm. um, violent at times. Um, so thinking about those two things for sure. Um, and I want to. Violent because the system itself is. Yeah. Exactly. Violent. You know, I feel like that because that is the thing that's missed is that um, I feel like we had this discussion before that poverty in itself is violence. Yep. Uh, the fact that people can't meet their basic needs is a type of violence because there is enough. There is enough. So the scarcity is false consciousness. Um, exactly. There, is, there are enough resources for all humans to have the food, clothing, and shelter that they need. There is no scarcity in this world at this time. The earth provides for, for the people, the humans that are here. The question is, how are we trying to live? Right. And how do we organize ourselves as as people to live? Um, mm-hmm. So um, I want to read this quote, which I think speaks to a lot of the things that you said. It's a George Jackson quote that I know I – I've used in the past and people have used and I really, it really resonates and it's settle your quarrels, come together, understand the reality of our situation, understand that fascism is already here, that people are dying who could be saved, that generations more will die or live poor, butchered half lives. If you fail to act do what must be done discover your humanity and your love in revolution pass on the torch join us give up your life for the people Mm. i know it takes a minute right yeah it takes a minute and you know you can't have a lot of that there um but this idea that we're connected to each other, that we have to pass the torch, as you will, so that now those of us in education are passing on, hopefully, our analysis to the new generation, their ability to just to see, to not walk around with veiled eyes about uh, what's happening around us, um, and that our only hope with building things with each other, even people who we think are not like us. And I think that's one of the challenges is like 
set aside your quarrels, yeah. settle your quarrels. It's like most of them, I mean, there, there are these ideas somehow that one group of people could get free without other people getting free, and that's not possible. Right. So how are we connected? And just to see those connections and let go all the things that we're holding on to that don't serve us. Right. And I think that's one of the difficult tasks, I feel, just sort of being in this world, you know, and seeing what's happening. Um, and and that that's also part of that nitty-gritty work is finding, is settling the quarrels um, to see what we all have in common, which is what the first Rainbow Coalition also did. Yeah, yep. I mean, you see, it's like we're easily distracted. Yeah. And distracted by all the isms. So, like, we just fight amongst ourselves. Racism, you know, anti-poor, you know, anti-LGBTQ, like, transphobia. Like, it just goes on and on. It's like all of it is distractions because we're really all connected, and it makes no sense. Right. The senseless hatred and just constant um, kind of focus on things that are important because people feel and are experience um, discrimination based on those things. Right. But in the long scheme of things, don't help humanity move forward. Right. Right. Well, I'm going to play another clip um, by... Keith Jones, where he um, he reads from an old copy of Soledad Brother. I have I have a old, you know, like I have a one of the first edition paperback printed in 1970 editions of Soledad Brother. And it's all it's like, you know, some of the pages are, you know, kind of crisp to the touch. And if I'm not careful, the binding might break at any moment. You know, I've read it a number of times and been moved um, so profoundly by so many of what I think are such poetic and philosophical formulations of his. But there's this there's this one moment that I always come back to and it's a, he's writing to, what is it? Faye, Faye Stender, who's, who's an activist, who's a friend of his, who is a lawyer. And she edits this heavily. She edits the letters heavily. Um, um, shapes them so that it becomes part of his defense, right? I mean, this is sort of discursively kind of the strategy of of the text in many ways in the letters that he writes. But he but he writes to her, this is uh, June 13th, 1970. And at the end of a letter that he writes to her about, you know, the trial and strategy and stuff is a short letter, shorter than some of the other ones. At the end, he says, when you finally get me out of this mess, you have to send me away somewhere for a while somewhere like Cuba or China or Tanzania, so that I can reorient myself. My understanding has been strained to the utmost. And I think about that line, my understanding has been strained to the utmost, because strain is an interesting word. I mean, that has a long literal resonance with also what will emerge within the African diaspora as Black music within the Americas, that strain. I mean, Amiri Baraka talks about that strain, that voice that emerges as a kind of testimonial to the historical experiences of having been the quote unquote property of 
settlers, of enslavers. And what that long history has resulted in is the disordering of this landscape, our relations to one another, the kind of uh, violence that is done to bodies, um, the violence that we do to one another. And I hear in that strain, you know, the straining to understand is a thing that I struggle with all the time. I strain to understand what it means to be aware of the inheritance we have as those who understand and study, have the privilege to study, to teach us ways of understanding the world differently that strain our understanding of what we've learned or inherited as the narrative, right? And how we come about, in other words, or come to something like a clarity about what we need to unlearn and undo with respect to our inheritances of this white settler colonial project, the the genocidal, dispossessive, um, the brutal predatory regime that we're in. And it is hard to bear the truth of all of this. And I think about this also in terms of George Jackson's letter when he talks about, when he, when he writes to his mother and he says, you betrayed me. And he, what he means by that is that you were also betrayed. You have been betrayed, right? But I think about how that is ongoing too. Again, structure, not an event. This is one of the reasons also why I think the, you know, something ain't right composition is so important is because it talks about war. And the truth is, this is state violence and this is war. And if we don't understand it as such, then we're naive. Now, of course, there's always this question of, well, what does it mean? How do you resist? How do you build alliance? How do you build a movement? And that's a real question. And it's a, it, and it's one of the ways in which I've always thought of the, the sacredness of the classroom for me, um, even if institutionally bound up and embedded in and obviously, therefore, quite problematic. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio um, on WBEWLP, Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. That was Dr. Keith Jones, who's a, a, a professor at um, UMass Boston um, and poet, poet scholar, scholar poet. Um, and uh, Michaela and I are on the air today to, to think about um, Black August and in remembrance of um, the murder 51 years ago of George Jackson. Uh, and um, and I feel like Michaela, he, you know, in some ways he really was saying similar what you were saying before the, the interview clip, right? Um, in oh. terms of solidarity. Uh, but when, when he says, you know, uh, state violence, I also think about what you said of Yes, the state under this social organization is violent, is 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 against humanity. Um, mm-hmm. But there are other ways of organizing, sort of, a state, right? That that supports people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, and ourselves and each other. I mean, I feel like there's there are movements around, right? That there are people. Um, kind of re-envisioning mm-hmm. um, in small pockets yeah. things like, you know, collectives like Cooperation Jackson okay. and, and yeah. other type things like um, um, their farms and other places where people are working to meet the basic needs of other humans in ways that are more humane and less exploitative. Um but those things have their limits too, because we also exist in this 
system, you know? So, um, yeah, it was like the struggle is on to, to think about um, the normalization of violence against each other, mm-hmm. one of which is exploitation and this idea that somehow that profit is natural right. uh, and that that is just a thing that happens, like that that's just regular. <laughs> right, that, right. Um, and not thinking that there's a consequence to that. There's a consequence of normalizing profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one thing to live in the system and accept that there are certain ways that we have to behave, and that's another thing to say that um, this is part and parcel of how humanity is going to get free, and we already know that this planet can only take so much, yeah. and it can only uh, it can only support one United States. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know what I mean? And so that even that idea to think about that, like people hold up the pinnacle of how we live in the U.S. as the best way to live. Mm-hmm. But if everyone lived like this, the planet could not sustain us. Right, right. And so the, what does that mean? Like what's, what, what kind of story is that telling? Um, and so are we willing to give up some of these creature comforts, things that we think of as essential that may not be? Um, to save the planet and each other. Right. right. And we can't buy our way out of it. So, like, buying an electric car ain't going to save mm. it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this next song I chose because um, in the next part, Dr. Jones talks a little bit about Walter Rodney. Um, and I sort of bring in a little bit of Walter Rodney's groundings with my brothers. And mm-hmm. so... I mean, I have to play Bob Marley because, you know, Groundings really is in many ways grounded in Jamaica. So um, here we go. Bob Marley Revolution. Forever. So, if I'm 
welcome back. You're listening to WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And just to remind everyone, the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. Um, so that was a Bob Marley revolution. Um, and I'm going to uh, play another clip from our interview from Michaela and my interview with um, Dr. Keith Jones and um, then we'll, we'll chat after. George Jackson, yeah, you know, I just, I just feel like Soledad brother, right? Like, I mean, he, right? And so like, let's think about like grounding also with Walter Rodney, right? How do we ground with our brothers and our sisters, right? How do we ground with our kin, you know, and all of our relations? But he writes, this is a this is uh, 1965 to his father. He writes at the end of this letter, maybe you remember when this 10 or 20 years from now, you'll comprehend. He's writing this to his father. I don't think of life in the same sense that you or most black men of your generation think of it. And it is not important to me how long I live. I think only of how I live, how well, the fullness of life. We think if we are to be men again, we must stop working for nothing, competing against each other for the little they allow us to possess, Stop selling our women or allowing them to be used and handled against their will. Stop letting our children be educated by the barbarian, using their language, dress, and customs, and most assuredly, stop turning our cheeks. I just think about that also because, you know, in, you know, what, like a decade earlier, Malcolm X, which is one of my, you know, favorite quotes, I use it all the time in my class, is um, only a fool would let their enemy teach their children. It's like, what, 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 what exactly, are, are we just, all being trained to be colonial, colonial administrators. And that was Dr. Keith Jones. Um, Mikhail and I interviewed him on Friday, actually. Um, and yeah, so I, I wanted to sort of, just in case, you know, listeners don't, are not familiar with Walter Rodney. Um, he wrote a book, he wrote many books, one being How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, but what, um, Dr. Jones was referring to was groundings with my brothers. And um, I picked out a couple, a few sentences out of the book um, that really sort of summarizes what groundings means. And one, it was an intro, it was like a foreword by Carol Boyce Davies. And she said that groundings is like making knowledge serve the liberation of our communities and then Walter Rodney himself says that to ground is to sit down and talk and listen. It's a sitting down together to reason um, that we have to ground together. And then his wife, um, Patricia Rodney, said um, that groundings is an approach where academics and activism were integrated and inseparable in the pursuit of equality, justice, and a common humanity. Um, Michaela? I mean, I feel like the other thing, thing that I might add to that is thinking about myself when I walk through the world, that it's important that I myself be grounded and that knowing my history is a part of having my feet firmly on the ground um, and planet in the earth and understanding where my food comes from, all those things that keep us from floating and keep us from being victims of our own false consciousness, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, like, how are we constantly, of course, like, connecting to our ancestors, 
um, and the ancestors of all the other human beings um, that might not be our direct blood lineage, but the best of whose actions we want to repeat. Yeah. You know, and so that to me, that's part of groundings, too, is like, who do I want to be every day? Mm. And how am I not just floating out there? I feel like there's some days where I'm like, wake up and I'm like, oh, like, what am I going to do today? <laughs> yeah. And you have all these different things like you do to survive. But like, what's going to make me feel like I'm firmly grounded, like my fear on the ground? And that's so where my child or anyone else's child asks me a question that I can answer it with integrity, with the love of other humans in my heart. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or is that too, like, boo-boo? <laughs> <laughs> Michaela, no, no, not at all. And I think that, like, you know, I like the way you put it, Michaela, because it's very grounded in the day-to-day struggles and work that we all do. It's not, you know, it's not just in a book. It's, you, you know, you you sort of contextualize it in in how do we apply that in our in the because we're pulled in so many different directions every day social forces false consciousness of other people in the work that we do and it's like how do we how how do we keep to the north star in many ways right I'm telling you, I'm t- and I just feel like, the, I said that to my daughter the other day, because she was saying, like, I think I was trying to get her to apologize to her brother or to say something that maybe she didn't want to say. And she was like, well, how am I going to say it? And I was mm. like, say it with the love that's in your heart. Mm. And I was just like, oh, that's good advice for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm like, oh, like that. That is how we need to say things, you know, and to remember that, like, the nasty things we say and do go on forever. Like, they they don't just end here. And so, like, how can we just move forward? And that, like, of course, intention matters. Right. Of course, intention matters. But how that lands matters even more. Right. And so that we can't be like, oh, I did this hurtful thing with the best intention, although that's going to happen. But we need to be corrected. And I feel like that's where we fall short in the the groundings. It's like nobody wants to be told they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No one wants to be corrected. And I feel like that's what these revolutionaries were about. They were about calling each other on the carpet and being like, that was wrong. How are you going to fix it? And we don't do that. We don't have any kind of backbone for that kind of correction. Right. You know, um, and we don't teach it to the kids either, because what we do is we use the word discipline, but really it means punishment. Mm-hmm. And those two things are different. Mm. Say more. We all need discipline. We all need to be disciplined. You mm. need discipline. That's how you get up in the morning and go to work. Mm. Right. It's like you have certain kind of discipline. That's how you, you know, people who are runners get up and practice their running. You're, you're working towards a marathon. Right. You have a goal. You run however many miles you set a course for yourself. Right. And we have to do that in our political work, too. Mm. That's what discipline is. It's not about punishing people. It's not about saying, like, oh, you break this rule, here's a consequence. It's that if you have something you want to achieve, yeah. and if we say that's freedom for all people, then there's a course to set. Yeah. And there's a way to do things that, that's different. And it's going to require sacrifice. Yeah. And that is what discipline is. It's not like, you know, you know, I walk around, I don't know, like whatever those things are that, you know, it's like every – Every action has an opposite and equal reaction. It's not exactly that. It's like, how are we going to work together to get to this end? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's no system really right now that teaches us that. Right. 
and there's nothing like n- no happenings on the streets no nothing outside of us that 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 teaches us that yeah no we're out here flailing trying to figure out how to get from a to b yeah and it's like if you're a prodigy or whatever they work they work at it like you're serena williams you know or you're michael jackson somebody has their elbow on your back Mm -hmm. but that like but that's not for the people that's for some individual right right accolades or recognition and money so like how do we get that to that place where we're working in a disciplined way for each other and i and there are places in time in times in history where that has happened right right so that we can replicate yeah and and i think you know you earlier you had said you know there are pockets right like a cooperation jackson and 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 other pockets throughout the world where they are trying to do something different but at the same time like those pockets need to come together as a I always like to say as a ti- as a tidal wave as a force mm, you know yeah, yeah. to to really push back against the the dehumanizing force of capitalism um yep. but I'm going to play a little clip um where, where Dr. Jones talks about his organizing, his experience, uh-huh. him and um, Tony Vandermeer, um, who's also, he's a senior lecturer in the Africana Studies Department. Um, and they've been, they've really put a lot of work in to make UMass Boston a um, anti-racist and health-promoting campus. Um, and so in this clip, he talks about his experience with that. So here it is. Genesis of, you know, my colleague uh, Tony and, and, and my um, organizing almost immediately after the shutdown, right? In the early days of the pandemic, which was, we understood that it was our students and their communities, our communities, that we're going to be the most egregiously impacted. I mean, that was clear. I mean, long before the pandemic, we 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 know that there are no there are no natural disasters. There are only social disasters. Which is not to say that there aren't hurricanes and that there aren't mudslides and that there aren't earthquakes. But that's been true throughout human history. The question is, right? Or like you know, human, let us say, civilization, um, and and taking that very very expansively. Right in terms of like our time together on this earth as a species and the the organizing and gathering that we've done as as peoples, but um, the social disaster is the way in which the hierarchy and all the power structures prevail in terms of who and who is not cared for, of whose lives matter and whose do and whose do not, and so that social disaster was clear to us at the outset, and we knew, and so we wrote a we wrote a letter to our students. Um, you know, we still we still have the, you know, the evidence of all of this early organizing, um, indicating that like we we stood with you, like we stood with you. The the university wasn't doing anything. Um, we didn't see any you know kind of leadership happening across campus in terms of really standing with the students and saying we understand your fear is our fear. We're just as vulnerable as you are, and we also understand that you're more vulnerable. And so we were we're here for you, right? And it and it means also that we're not going to conduct class as if. You know, we're not in the mid- in the midst of a global pandemic. That means that we're gonna we're gonna minister you the whole of you, um, and so we're we're gonna think about what you need at this moment, 
I mean, to me, that was like, you know, what, what, what a pedagogy of hope or a pedagogy of love is. And in the process of, of doing that kind of work and reaching out to the union and, and trying to do some organizing work with the union um, to reach out to faculty, also to make, you know, a strong statement on behalf of also the need for the, the union to, to, to express the same kind of care and love for all faculty, meaning tenure and non-tenure, right? And by the way, all staff, right? Which includes all staff. I mean, the, the janitorial or custodial services, as well as the administrative assistance. I mean, the entire campus community, which by the way, we don't function largely ever thinking of it as a community, right? Like what would it mean actually to institutionalize dare I say, because we are the institution, right? An ethics of care in our everyday practice as an institution. You know, I mean, that to me, that was like, if if not now, then when? You know what I mean? And for, for Tony and I, we were very clear on that. And then of course the George Floyd incident, the murder, and then all the uprisings. And now all of a sudden, as one of my colleagues famously remarked, we always remind him of this, Dr. Jemadari Kamara, the great Dr. Jemadari Kamara said, you know, the price of freedom just went up, right? And now, right, the, the Africana studies restorative justice demands that had put, been put on the table five years earlier by the department, right? Because again, structure, not event, right? The undermining of the Africana studies department has a long history, right? As does anything that represents the radical epistemological project that black study is. Right. I want to be really clear about that because that's my own formation, right? My own mentoring, my own formation, right? Within black study, right? Postcolonial theory and black study. Those are my like intellectual, you know, theoretical kinds of coordinates. Right. So black study is always under threat, right? I and mean, this is this goes back to the period of enslavement, right? I mean, a true kind of, I mean, this goes back to Thomas Fuller and the importance of mathematics, right? The epistemology, in other words, of counting value against the val against a structure that would devalue you. Ooh, that's that's intense if you think about that, right? That's already like to produce a different kind of account of what value is being produced by someone who is supposed who is supposed to not uh, be valued at all, but part of the violence of his devaluation is the fact that he was valued as property. You understand? Like it's a it's a complex. Um, it's a complex and complicated understanding that we have to have an analysis that we need in order to move beyond, right? The commodification that we were talking about earlier, you know? So the George Floyd uprising occurs and we're like, we're gonna add to the restorative justice demand that we already had as a department, but in order that we're made whole so that the university can be made whole, because remember, the Black liberation struggle is not about only Black people. It is about all of us. It's about undoing a white supremacist structure. And we are very clear that white supremacy, right, and Black inferiority, right, are part of the same structure. And those who would internalize whiteness are also internalizing superiority, whatever their pigmentation, whatever their, you know, ep epidermis, which is, you know, sort of what Fanon teaches us too, right? The whiteness is about power. So we took on then the project of trying to organize faculty 
and again, all faculty, tenure and non-tenure, all staff, right, and the administrators in a way that would try to produce the conditions whereby a certain consciousness sh shift could occur across campus. If we could really begin to examine the Eurocentric white supremacist colonial epistemologies that are normative within the academy, if we really began thinking about our curriculum, if we really began to think about our hires, if we really began thinking about our pay, right? Our, you know, I mean, literally, right? Salaries, right? Who's paid what for what kind of work, right? How do we really think about what kind of institution, what kind of um, knowledge we want to both engage in, but also produce the conditions of producing for the communities that we're supposed to serve. This becomes a, a much, much different kind of project, right? Because it, 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 it presumes that the center of knowledge production is actually not the colonial university, but in fact, the communities themselves and the peoples themselves, right? What if we weren't, in other words, the experts? This goes back to a kind of Frarian notion that, right, that oppressor oppressed contradiction needs to be overturned. We have to see our own positionality within the structure. We also have to understand ourselves to be always, I mean, if we're going to be true to the um, project of real liberation, right? We have to understand ourselves always to be humble in relationship to our own knowledge and to our own education and to who it is that we understand ourselves to be. So we can't like parade as experts Right? We can't parade as um, knowing in advance what our students need or knowing in advance what the communities they come from need. Right? And this gets to that question, Michaela, you were putting earlier with respect to also you know, education for what and for whom. I mean, these are radical questions, you understand? It changes, it changes the very fabric of an institution that is supposed to be serving the communities around it, which are primarily black, brown, native, Asian, and working class. This is the only public university in Boston, only four-year public university in Boston. And this was why that worked for us of having the university commit to the language of the process of becoming, that was always so important, an anti-racist and health-promoting public research institution was important because it gave us a structure whereby we could then hold them accountable to the actual concrete interventions they were making or not making. And what we've had is, you know, a massive deployment of its rhetoric um, and very, very little, if any, concrete structural interventions. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio, WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. And um, my co-host, Michaela, and I interviewed Dr. Keith Jones. Um, and he was talking about um, his and um, Dr. Tony Vandermeer's efforts to really make structural changes at UMass Boston. Um, to make it an anti-racist and health-promoting campus. 
and you know, again, like we were saying earlier, Michaela, right? Um, the pockets of work that are being done all over. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there is this movement. I feel like there's this. We're holding it with two hands, and I feel like. Um, Dr. Jones talked about that, this idea that, yeah, it could be co-opted. So you could be in there checking boxes or you can be in there really trying to create institutions that serve all children and mm-hmm. move it as close to that metric as possible. Like how can you make it so um, that we're serving all people, um, the workers and yeah. the students, um, so it could be co-opted and just be words, but then it, there could be people really trying to. And it's, it's unless you're inside, it's hard to know yeah. which one is happening. Right. right. Um, from the outside, you can't always tell. But, you know, all work has consequences for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, we're coming towards the end of our show. And we want to leave some room for um, Dr. Jones to share some of his poetry, but we'll we'll go out with his poetry. Um, but I wondered, yes. Michaela, if there were any announcements um, with Spark or, or anything else. Yeah, I mean, I say for sure. There's two things I could say: is that Spark Teacher Training, um, Spark Teacher Training Institute, is accepting applications for. Um, teachers, people who want to be teachers, either starting in the fall in September or in January. That's number one. Number two, if you live in Brattleboro or the surrounding towns um, and are a member of the school district on the 29th from 2.30 to 5, there will be a back-to-school celebration, which is a Monday, mm-hmm. um, with food and such um, as we get ready to kick off our new school year, which starts on August 30th, and we're really excited um, to have the students back and to, you know, get in there and learn some things. Yep. Break some things. And yep. <laughs> sometimes you break things when you learn things. <laughs> so true. But just have a good time. Great. Some joy. We need we need that for sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for this. I appreciate it. I mean, I think that this is the first of many commemorations of Black August and just thinking about all the people before us um, that have passed and all the prisoners currently incarcerated. And I think that most prisoners, I would say, are political prisoners because so many people are in there for nonviolent crimes um, that are crimes of survival. Um, And we want to do more than that. Of course, we want to thrive. But just thinking that that those buildings are holding and mistreating other humans that really – have so much to offer to society um and that this i don't know i just feel like it it breaks my heart when i think about it and the fact that just the inhumane treatment like under any like so-called i think that dr jones mentioned natural disaster they're the last ones thought of right Right. and they're stuck and they're literally left to die yeah um as people are like being evacuated so um just for us to hold that on our hearts and know that you know so many of us have family members that have been incarcerated um i certainly do and still do and that we think of them and hope that one day they will be join us yeah thank you michaela i really thank you so much Nina. um so I'm, we're gonna go out with dr jones um reading um some of his poetry yes exciting enjoy everone thanks for listening the poems themselves, but again from the sequence called Coming Again Like Larry. 
The lives in his head were the crowning of many births. Ideas like squadrons of shields or brief shelters, robot poems that did things. That was the love he gave. Slights, accents, tinctures, wondrously bitters make him fly. It's the first question of his childhood, holding out a love note. I am the sun today, I without place, I without nation. You point to the mirror, the rainbow painting my daughter made, all the coming evictions, we're holding hands, pairing with the winds of creation, a nothing shard we are in, teeming, dream mind, the ruin repeats. Irises on the roadside, Ra's shimmering boat, to find where language is, inside the outside of. Scarred immigrant sky, Abuela gave me her knee, stitched her dreams in sovereign quiet. July goes on and on, an estate of veils, bird bled, won't. Scarred immigrant sky, Abuela gave her, gave me her knee, stitched her dreams in sovereign quiet. July goes on and on, an estate of veils, bird bled, wound bone we pluck. Little breast of vow, child on my lap, by way of patient phrase and trauma's extraction. We are at dusk again, Diego. You wore a mirror there, lost debris of cities made of space, moonrise on pale leaves, numinous and plural, thick listening to the storm inside. I've averted your semblances to polish the sun in knowing. It's already been said. Soft crack of chrysalis, I fall headlong thinking the spaces of languages own disquiet. I lie irrevocable. What did you bring, rough tropics, to play with? Peonies I'd like to tell you of. Arrive myriad, catch fire as they cry, ache, lush, fluent in ellipses. Yes, a life, rivers, rifts, some raft bereft of, born of, battering rifts, rivulets, gourd of celestial time we drink from, all the labor inside, sighs, bronze balustrade and long tendrils, hoisted where all the interest is, wilds of beauty in sky-eyed web, I see your wings as sentient cinema. Coming again like lyric, our short existence, Alstromeria and my sister's grave, plaque in the ground, pink casket, grass, her body now, a nothing shard we are in. Teeming, if not for her, the knot of us knotted together. Remember whom she said she knew, Miss Praeses, up and down, mi gente. In the photo, I don't get named, but I was standing beside you. Infinite were we. Collectively. Yeah. But the school system, I think, could be restructured to teach, teach children more about how to interact with each other, how to respect each other. I just want to ask is there anything that we have not asked you or, or touched on that you um, want to talk about? 
I'll touch briefly on good time. Every in my entire And so that's the kind of hope people cling on to. Mm -hmm. Every year, everybody hopes, yo, hope they pass the good time. Hope, because this is a way where they can earn their way out, earn their second chance. Mm -hmm. Right now, if I was inside,